me to believe. That's what I'm expecting you to be. And the funny thing is that I've got Alan Niven, former Guns N' Roses manager with us, is he's my co-host, and it's not working for him. <laughs> oh, man. I'm Mr. Techno. I can handle crowbars, machine guns, cheerleaders, <laughs> underpants, and, and Zoom and Skype. Come on, baby. So... Al, Alan's going to try to get his microphone to work, but we'll, we'll get this going. But uh, Ted, as you know, uh, always a pleasure. We've done this before many times over the phone, but never. You, de- you deserve me. And now that you do you have a visual on me, because I've never looked more adorable, by the way. I know you and I look exactly the same right now. We're prime, ador- yeah. pri- prime adorable. <laughs> we- Except I still have my damn hair. Well, yeah, yeah, but I have luck. Simply luck, brother. How about (laughs) Alan? Is Alan, what is he, uh, is he, I actually got it to work. Yeah, Shemaine was coming down to save my ass, but actually, (laughs) I don't know what I pushed. I pushed the right buttons, just just shit-ass luck. Yeah, no, Alan, can we hear you? Are you, are you, uh, are you not joining us on this one? Is your mic? I don't know if you can hear me or not. He has to turn that shit up. Yeah, we, we hear you very minimally. So let me, let me just get started with Ted on, while, uh, while, Yeah, try to come back in and see if you can get that microphone. I'm going to get started with Ted because Ted, as we know, likes to get the, likes to hit the ground running like like, like that yeah, time. You know. Like that time we did it with uh, Tom Worman. That was a good one. That was a real good one. You bet. That that was great. But let me let me let me get started here with the uh, Spirit Campfire podcast because uh, I podcast, you podcast, we podcast. Uh, you know, it's now a verb. Uh, talk to me about doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're not, uh, you know, uh, thin on opinion. So what is the podcast for those that haven't seen it? Well, you know, obviously I've been around a while. Um, I've been rock and roll and I've been visible in the world of rock and roll. And, and inevitably you, you bump into the media as early as the 1960s for me. I mean, the early 60s with the Lourdes before there was an Amboy Dukes. And uh, people wanted to know about the music of these teenagers in Detroit. So there was always interest in the entertainment media. There was no rock and roll media. There was just AM radio. But the AM radio songs were monsters, you know, whether it was uh, Born to be Wild or Sunshine of Your Love or Journey to the Center of the Mind or even Purple Haze was on the radio. I mean, you had Kill and, and Hush by Deep Purple. These were all AM classic, you know, hit records. So the music was really awesome back then. And it still is today. If you tune into the right guys, there's not many of us, but there are some right guys out there. So my point is, as you notice, I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed, man. I'm cocked, locked and ready to rock the Glock doc. I really believe in this music and all the inspirations that bring about this wonderful soundtrack. So when people want to know about those inspirations, they want to talk to somebody that might not be doing the same drugs they're doing. um, They'll call me. Because I think I could express myself a little bit more accurately and a little bit more piss and vinegar. And what good is a conversation, Mitch, without adequate piss and vinegar? That's what I say. And I know that's what you say. Yeah. So people pick up on my energy because I love the things we talk about, whether it's about guitar tones or music or the black gods that influenced all the best music in the world. And because I've been clean and sober for 72 years, I can bring forth uh, mile markers. Right of that musical development or musical continuum. And a guy named John Brankus, who was an ESPN award winner, wanted to do a tribute to the military heroes on uh, Independence Day in 2020. And who's he going to call? So he called me because uh, quite honestly and quite proudly, 
all the guys from the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, all these hero warriors said, yeah, we'd love to do a, a celebration of the U.S. military. Can, can we have Uncle Ted on? So John Brinkus didn't know that I had this incredible relationship with the military heroes because I've always worked with them. I've trained with them. I do benefits for them. I've just always celebrated good over evil, which is what they represent. Right. So the podcast we did for the military on the Independence Day was so intense. John had never he admitted he'd never seen anybody quite so ready to rock as me about the issues that we talked about and the reverence for the sacrifices of those warriors. So he said, boy, Ted, we could we could do this on a continuing basis, like a podcast. And I go, yeah, let's call it the spirit campfire, because as you can tell, Mitch, when you have a dialogue with me, there's no inhibitions. I, it's like a campfire. And I have so many real campfires in my life with so many great, great, wonderful people that that energy and that positive spirit is so uh, contagious that I knew that we should call it a spirit campfire. So we did, and it started way back in, I think in uh, late July. It was probably, we've done, I don't know, a hundred of them maybe. We've had Billy Gibbons. We've had uh, uh, Mark Farner. We had Governor Huckabee and Governor per Palin. We had my uh, band. Jason Tommy Shaw. Ray Smith. We had all the damn Yankees on. We had Joe Piscopo on, you know, nothing is sacred. We had a great comedian the other night, Brian. And so it's it's a campfire. We just it's shit kicker, hell raising, letter rip, which is my specialty. Shit kicking, hell raising, letter rip. You love that about me, Mitch. And even Alan, if Alan can hear me right now, I know that's what he loves. So we decided. Can Alan talk? Can Alan talk? By the way, communication. Can I hear you, Alan? No, he's still muted. I hate muting, by the way. I killed my mute button. So my point <laughs> is that the Ted Nugent Spirit Campfire with John Brankus is an open uninhibited free-for-all dialogue with some really great, positive, interesting, diverse people, which is a good description of what you pursue in an interview format. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what makes a great interview. Um, and when I interview a Billy Gibbons, for example, I guarantee I'm going to bring stuff out of Billy that nobody else is going <laughs> to. And when I got Derek St. Holmes on and I got Ricky Medlock on and I got Mark Farner on, I'm going to bring out stuff. And Dave Amato from ARIO, I'm going to bring out stuff that is so intimate in the, the, the inner psyche of the musical creators and collaborators and lovers music lovers, all of them great musicians are music lovers to the definitive degree. So the Spirit Campfire is the, dare I say, Mitch, the ultimate interview format in the history of the world because we can talk about controversial political stuff right. and maybe how that might inspire a song or, or an activism at the, at the artist's school or at their community or maybe at their uh, capital. So it, it, it's, it's a, it's a free-for-all. Interview, yeah. fun. It's all pot. It's funny. I'm a funny son of a bitch. If you're not having fun <laughs> with me, Mitch, you're weird. you weird. So the Spirit Campfire is all about that. And you need to have me and Alan on as guests someday. Why not? I would love to By the way, Mitch, I don't know if you got it, but I got an app in the, my thing here. Because yeah. the guitar, I'm going to play a couple licks and you tell me if it sounds real. <laughs> And we do a lot of that too. That is is, is terrific. Now, 
you know, we, we've got Alan here, who who's my co-host. His mic's not working right now, but uh, were, were you ever... Last... You look good, Alan. We love you, Alan. Just sit there and look pretty for us, would you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the best. This is the best interview ever when Alan can. But the last time we spoke, uh, you, you had made some comments about Guns N' Roses because they had played that show in Mexico during the uh, you know the beginning of the COVID thing. Uh, now that you've got the manager here that you can say stuff and he can't respond, what was your take on that band back in the day? Where are they? Well, obviously, you know, I, I love every imaginable approach to music. Um, some I love more, for example, 99% of country music, I think is just embarrassing. I mean, it's just garbage. I mean, uh, it sounds like a death song for a wounded puppy. It's just so unenergized and so pussified. I just really can't stand most country music, but I love all rock and roll. And I remember when Guns N' Roses, I think it was one of their first gigs they opened up for us at the Santa Monica uh, Civic Center. I think it was like, Alan could probably tell you, it was probably around 84, maybe a little Miss Dangerous time, because I I had some little Miss Dangerouses there with me that night. Anyhow, um, I could tell as soon as they hit the stage, whoa, I've seen the Beasts. I've seen the Stones. I hung out with Keith Richards. And, you know, he's my polar opposite lifestyle guy, but I still revere the soulfulness of what Keith Richards brings back the black influences. He does it as good as any black guy, dare I say. And that's so important to emotional and authoritative music that I I, I literally sponged whatever it is, the essence of, of Keith Richards when I hung out with him for a few days. So I know that there are dirty white boys and i could tell and also another important reference is i i witnessed the ferocity and i'm really good with uh describing things but i'm helpless mitch to adequately describe the animal fire and musical authority of the mc5 in 67 68 and the first half of 69 before the drugs destroyed them and took away all their erectile capabilities. What I saw in Guns N' Roses that night reminded me, not that I needed it, that the, the pulsations of a garage band virtually uninhibited with youthful enthusiasm can still deliver a little Richard firestorm. Guns N' Roses that night, I went, whoa, who the hell are these guys? This front man, this is like Mick Jagger meets Steven Tyler meets, um, uh, uh, what's the guy from Black Oak, Arkansas? Uh, 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 Jim Dandy. Yeah, Jim Dandy. <laughs> a really important reference, by the way. Thank you, Mitch. No worries. <laughs> so, and boy, those are all powerful um, uh, graphic references, aren't they? Yeah. And I saw, I saw what they were doing. I watched what Slash was doing and the groove of the bass and drums and the interplay, Stones-like interplay, Beatles-like interplay, Who, uh, uh, Zeppelin, uh, it, it was pre-Zeppelin, really the best stuff. But so I really went, whoa, Guns N' Roses, I'm going to keep my eye on these sons of bitches because they got the piss. They got the fire. They got the 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 uninhibitedness. Um, now, as they went forward, and you know that I absolutely 
hate substance abuse. I think it's the dumbest thing a man can possibly inflict his family with. And I know that some, I mean, I was with Keith Richards for two days. <laughs> so, I, so I can't be too judgmental. Um, so plus he defies all my predictions about what drugs will do to you. All the dead guys are dead, but Keith isn't. <laughs> so my point is, is that I've also watched um, the, the tragedy of people believing their uh, publicity and people believing the gushing adulation that I think ended up hurting some of the best bands in the world, um, in, including Guns N' Roses. Uh, but they still created killer music. They deserve all their love and, ref and reference and, and respect for their musical authority. They have musical authority, and I reserve that accolade for a select uh, number of musical forces because you can play great music and you can be a killer band with some hit songs, but to have musical authority, it's got to, it's got to, it's got to exude what's in your guts. And yeah. the, the Guns N' Roses guys, really, they really delivered that. So I've always admired that band. Uh, oh, absolutely. Me too. Uh, let me ask you quickly. Uh, you mentioned you had Derek St. Holmes on, and I actually watched that on Facebook. Uh, that was good, wasn't it? it? It was great. And and I have to say, I was under the impression that you and Derek had had a falling out. So, no. Would, no, so, so you never had a falling out. So then just quickly talk to me. What did he mean to you? Because for a while there, when you had Derek in the band, you 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 owned the world. You came and played the Montreal Forum. Uh, uh, you know, you were you were swinging from a vine and shooting arrows. It was quite a, quite a sight to see <laughs> to see you back then. If you have fun with me, you're weird. I know. Uh, listen, I've always enjoyed a Ted Nugent. So I've seen a bunch of them, and I saw them when it. Well, I don't want to say when it mattered because that's rude. But I saw them in the seventies and eighties when when fucking rock shows were rock shows. You know. Uh, what did Derek mean to you in terms of the band and giving you that voice for some of those songs? Well, obviously, the minute I saw Derek open up for me with his band, uh, uh, God, uh, Scott, the name of his band was Scott. Why that was his name, I don't know. But uh, my buddy, Phil Nicholson, a black friend of mine from Detroit who did some semi-road management, some musical influencing, a real musical guy, real Motor City, Motown musical guy. He said, you got to hear this guy named Derek St. Holmes in a band called Scott down in uh, down River, down in Wyandotte, <laughs> down in Gibraltar. And so the Amboy Dukes played everywhere. You had electricity, we'd plug in. And so we did a show at the theater down there. And we we insisted that this band, Scott, open for us so I could witness him. Well, as soon as Derek opened his mouth, I went, you got to be kidding me. And not just his singing, his stylization, his soulfulness, his real, there's a real blackness, a real um, uh, uh, e emoting and, and dynamic, almost, uh, dare I say, Aretha Franklin-like gymnastics in Derek's capabilities. And not only that, but his guitar playing world-class guitar playing. And as every band that's going to have a, a chance to survive in Detroit, the rhythm section was powerhouse. And believe me, we know powerhouse rhythm sections in Detroit. I was completely blown away. And I literally went up to him that night and I go, how'd you like to sing and play guitar in my band? <laughs> Immediately that night. So I've always revered, admired, and promoted. No one has promoted Derek St. Holmes or any member of any band anywhere ever like I do my bandmates by name. 
everywhere I go, every night, because I'm Jack Squat without Jason Hartless and Greg Smith and Cliff Davies and Rob Grange and Derek St. Holmes and Tommy Aldridge and Tommy Clefettos and, and Mick Brown and all these, un, and Marco Mendoza and, and Michael Lutz. I mean, I could name all my musicians and I just genuflect at the altar of these unbelievable forces that here's the clincher, they 100% dedicate themselves to my musical vision while not being yes men, but they love the songs that I create and they embrace them as their own. So what you witnessed with Derek in those early years for a reasonable amount of time was a complete dedication to what I had determined wasn't going to be an Amboy Dukes band anymore. These are my signature heart and soul song statements. And I, I don't compromise them. I, if you don't like my signature heart and soul song expression, you shouldn't be in the band. But he did, as did Cliff, as did Rob. We'll, we'll, meant, we'll, we'll focus on that foursome. My God, you know, I use the word musical authority. Has there ever been more? What Rob Grange and Cliff Davies did to my songs every night and on record? It's every guitar songwriter's dream what those guys delivered. But there got to be a time where I think Derek was less enthusiastic about my new songs. And for whatever reason, I, I mentioned something about uh, circumstances that afflicted many bands, including Guns N' Roses, just a moment ago. But Derek was a young guy. He had written Hey Baby. In fact, when he played Hey Baby that night at the theater, um, I can't remember the exact city it was in. I'm sure if he's listening right now, he'd go, oh, it was the Royal Oak Theater, man. No, it wasn't the Royal Oak Theater, but it was down river. Let's just say and Montreal yeah. because we love Montreal. Yeah, but so so <laughs> there came a time when I, when I witnessed what he did with Hey Baby. You know, he wrote that. That was his baby. Now, I Nugentized it with my Gibson Birdland and my maneuvers and my solo stuff, but that was his musical identity, which was so... So um, confluent with my musical vision that he's he went no I'm gonna I'll sing on your songs but I don't think hey baby that's not like a, a Ted Nugent song and I go well make it a Ted Nugent song I I had to push Derek to put it on the record which obviously ended up being one of a great sources of income for Derek and a great delivery of what Derek could do with my band and on his own and I knew that and I'm ready for musicians to be part of a unified unit delivering the songs of the songwriters. But throughout history, whether it's Simon and Garfunkel or, or the Beatles or whoever, the songwriters, they make the most money. I didn't know that at the time. I just wanted to express my songs. My lyrics in, hey, in, in, in Stranglehold, my lyrics in Dog Eat Dog, Motor City Madhouse, You Make Me Feel Right Home. I'm not willing to compromise those lyrics. Those, that I'm, I'm expressing myself. Now, when I wrote the, con the complete song, Stranglehold, I wrote the bass line, I, wrote the, I, I literally mouthed the drums to Cliff Davies because he was in a band called If, which was jazzy, but he'd never go, boom, boom, gag him, boom, back, boom, boom, back him. And so I mouthed all those drum parts, and he was, he was so gifted, God rest his soul, that that whole intro, that I 
I mouthed that drum lick and he played it exact perfect. Now, I'm not saying that Cliff Davies needed Ted Nugent to, to tell him what to play on drums. But he did going from if to my music. He did need those directions. And as a as a consummate professional and just a smart, positive guy, he knew that. He wasn't going to come in with jazzy type, you know, subtle fills. He had to come in like, you know, a, a herd of turkeys up your ass. Um, <laughs> it was really a pleasant consideration, by the way. And my point is, is that there became a time where Derek lost his enthusiasm for expressing and 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 performing Ted Nugent's vision, and they quit on March 18th, 1979. Rob and uh, Derek and Rob quit right after the concert at Cal Jam, <laughs> the biggest concert of their lives, wow. the most money they've ever made in their lives. And I <laughs> and I love the guys dearly. I love Rob. He brought so much power and soul to my music. Derek brought so much power and soul to my music. They went off to perform and pursue their individual musical delivery. And they did some awesome stuff, by the way, with um, St. Paradise. I think they had Car they had Denny Carmasi on drums, as I did on Spirit of the Wild. So they knew their stuff, um, and they did great stuff, but it, it never caught on. And is there is there something to be a little let down that those four monsters making this united power drive of music that it couldn't have lasted forever? Boy, that yeah, it would have been awesome. But let me tell you, I had the greatest tour of my life in 2019. I've never had more fun. My guitar tone is just indecent. It's just a offensive and rude and sexy and I mean animals start breeding within miles of my amplifiers every night what more indicator do you need to be a happy guitar player so and Derek performs and he does these clubs and things and he's awesome he's never been better in his life but he wanted to sing Derek stuff which I'll help in fact Mitch nobody's promoted Derek's concerts or his songs or his performances more than I do I don't want to, I don't want to, well, you can't promote his ticket sales. They might not buy yours. Oh, shut the fuck up. I, Derek's at a club in Nashville. I'm going to promote it because you got to see this guy. His guitar playing is unbelievable. His vocalizations are better than ever. And when he got Dave Kaswini, my Wango Tango bass player, and uh, his incredible drummer, uh, I'm telling you, if, if there was a if there was a rock and roll industry right now, they should be a global touring act with Derek and Dave and his drummer. I agree. They're monsters. I agree. But, but they went off on their own on their own move, and then I went on and I did you know I did a I've sold since Derek left I sold on twelve million records, some that he sang on, but also Damn Yankees five million records. But again, music is so personal. I, oh, it I, is. My music is my heartbeat. If I want to sing a song about a friend named Fred Bear, who I loved and he passed away, I, I need to sing that song, which has become, by the way, a more requested song and a more powerful song based on the input I get from Facebook than even Stranglehold or Motor City Madhouse or Dog Eat Dog. So you got to follow your guts and your instinct. And I've never done this for money. If I sell 50 tickets, I want the money because those tickets are they bought it to see me, so that's my money. Uh, uh, so I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a capitalist, but I play music to satisfy something much deeper. 
In fact, I don't know. Listen to this lick right here. This is a new song called Detroit Muscle. And you tell me that the garage band Ted Nugent couldn't have come up with this son of a bitch. That is, that is terrific. Mrs. Nugent gets really crazy when I play this <laughs> shit, which is all the indicator I need. <laughs> yeah, Alan, can we hear you now? Quick, real, real quick. I don't know. Can yeah. you hear me now? Wait, is there a volume now? Because we can hear you, Alan. You look so damn handsome. I want to see if you can talk as good as you look, man. Well, I can, but... Uh, we can hear you, so spit out a question. Go for it. We can hear you, but it's very low. But go for it. That's right. Guys, just go ahead. We'll just, we'll just so go ahead. Translate that for me, Mitch. What, what all did he say? He said uh, Ted Nugent is like a jukebox. You just put a quarter in and he'll play. So, so it's we'll, we'll... Nickel, just wink. <laughs> We can outplay. <laughs> we can outplay. I just want to go back real quick here to the last album. The music made me do it. Yeah, I love the record. So do I. I thought it was fantastic. And and you know, and and I'll, okay, I'll, I'll admit this. Sometimes when you get a record from a an older artist or an artist that's been around, let's call or classic artist. Let's call it a classic artist. You sit there and you go. Do I, do I really want to open this? Do I, do I really want to? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> you don't want to taint the memories of the perfect moment. I know what you mean. And, and I put that one on. And now this came out, I think, in 2018. So it's been a while. But I put it on. And I heard the first song. And you just go, oh, fucker still got it. And then the second song, oh, fucker still got it. And then you get down to big, uh, big, fun, dirty groove noise. And you go, what a lick. I mean, come on. I'm going to play that lick right now. That is terrific. So, so let me it's ask you then. Lick. All my licks are monster licks. They, they really are. I mean, going all the way. I mean, a stranglehold. Uh, you know, cat what? scratch fever. Anyway, last time we, we spent a lot of time talking with uh, Ted Temple, uh, not Ted Templeman, uh, Tom Warman, and we talked about Lou Futterman, and we talked about all that great stuff. What keeps you going in terms of making new music? Because you know you're right. You can go out there and you can do the sheds, you can do the tours, you can do the what you can open with Kiss and Skid Row, you can do all this stuff. Why lock yourself in a room for for a couple of weeks and say, okay, I'm gonna come up with big funky groove noise. I'm gonna come why not just rely on your on your past? Why why stay active? 
Mitch, what a stupid question. I'll yes. forgive you for that stupid yes, question. Yes, but that, I'm setting you up. That is what we call in the industry a soft... I know, it's, it's, it's a beach ball. It's like, a, it's like an industry inquiry because you don't believe a fucking word you just said. Nope. <laughs> nope. But it's, Let a, me tell you, it's a beach ball. So knock it know, out of the park. <laughs> if you had to pick a word to describe me, and you could pick a lot of them, but I think the most accurate would be alive. The son of a bitch is alive. I killed a deer this morning. There's probably still blood in my fingernails. I killed a deer this morning with my bow and arrow that I hope people can somehow grasp the dynamo spirit of the guy who plays big, fun, dirty groove noise, leaps off amplifiers so many times he had to have two new knees, and shoots Saddam Hussein in the balls with a flaming arrow on stage, and screams like James Brown wishes. That guy, every morning, Mitch and Alan, every afternoon, September, October, November, December, January, February, our deer season doesn't end until March 1st here in Texas. I hunt every day. I hunt, I get up before daylight every day. I get the dogs, I take them out to pee and poop. I get my bow in the dark and I go from big fun, dirty groove noise to Bruce Lee, Samurai, Crazy Horse, Geronimo. I so transition to a spiritual being, I sit there for hours and all I, and I don't, People go, do your songs come to you then? No, not at all. You don't come up with big, fun, dirty groove noise when you're really quiet trying to hide from a deer. <laughs> but, and I've said this before, but I've never met an interviewer that understood what I was saying. I think you will. Yes. You get out of that. Subconscious doesn't describe it. Uh, spirit. Uh, not a spirit void, but a spirit firestorm right. of silence, stealth, and stillness. By the time I'm done with that, I come into this. This isn't a man's cave. It's a man's cuckoo's nest. I have so many guns and ammo and arrows and slingshots. And <laughs> I, got, I got my dog, my happy Sadie and Coco are laying here with me right now. I killed that deer where I sat like this with my bow at ready until he gave me the shot for a perfect kill. And I, I often reference the mystical flight of the arrow. And I became one with that arrow. And I, the world ceased to exist. All there was was a tractor beam to his pump station. And I disconnected it and he died within four seconds the, the swiftest, most painless death available in nature, by the way. And you sit there, I could get teary-eyed expressing what that means to me because you never met Sitting Bull or Crazy Horse. I have. Now, I, you know, I, follow me on this. You've heard the song Geronimo and Me and Spirit of the Wild, Fred Bear. You've heard earth tones and, and migration from the Amboy Dukes, these beautiful orchestrated emotional movements. That's where that comes from. But not only does that where that comes from, 
but so does big fun dirty groove noise. The quiet, stealthy, statuesque guy can't wait to create sonic bombast. <laughs> so I get to be a preteen garage band guitar adventurer every day, even when I'm 72, Mitch. Do you, are, are you are you You look great rap- for 72 by the way. Well, if I had if I shaved, I'd be really handsome, man. If I had a little bit of sleep, I have bags under my eyes, but they're ammo bags. My point is, is thank you for that coffee. You look great too. My thank point you. is, is that I do it because it's me. I I I I I this might look like limited terrain. That might look like a short twenty-three and a half inch. A uh, 23 and a half uh, scale guitar neck. That might look like a very limited piece of geography. It's unlimited. I'm still it Lewis. Is. And, I'm still Lewis and Clark in this son of a bitch. When I came in, I cleaned the blood off of my arrow. I dragged the deer in. We took it. We gutted it. It's a very spiritual experience because I'm preparing. Plus, I donate tons of pure, organic, sacred the best venison in the world to soup kitchens and homeless shelters. And they cry when I give it to them because they can get dented cans of beans and four day old bread, but they can't get meat. And they sure as hell can't get pure natural organic meat, which is what I dine on. So this is a very spiritual experience when you're gutting it and you're cleaning it for the, the ultimate culinary experience. It's 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 a it's a procedure that if you examine Black Lives Matter or Antifa or the Democrat Party or tyrants or Marxists or communists anywhere in the world, stupid people allowed them to gain power because they don't know where their lives come from. They think their lives might come from the tyrant. They might maybe the tyrant will give you some scraps. If you're if you're if you're uh, a national anthem sounds like this, meh, meh. <laughs> well, my well, national Canadian national. I, all so right. my point is, as I do it because it's in me, and I can't wait to hear it and feel it and exercise it, especially with Jason Hartless, my drummer, and Greg Smith, my bass player. These guys, uh, again, I wouldn't be jack squat without these incredible virtuosos that I've been surrounded with all my life. And when I show these guys a new song, they listen to it. And as I'm showing it to them, they come in like they played it a hundred times because they understand the pulse of my musical expression. They know it comes from Chuck and Bo and little Richard and Motown and James and Wilson. They know that they, they understand the movement, even though they're new licks, but it's, it's heartbeat is repetitious, redundant, and historical, which is some of my favorite shit. <laughs> I eat killing your own dinner. So, so that's that's a that's a verbose uh, answer. Look at this. Come here, Coco. Come here, Coco. Come here. Oh, let's have Look a look. This is the greatest duck hunting German. Oh, there you go. This is Coco. So you've got a you, you got a manly dog. I got a little tiny black dog next to me. <laughs> I got a catahoula. Here's the catahoula's tail right here. That's that's happy. He's gonna knock over my laptop I'm here. To look but, but I have so much. I got Max over here somewhere. I have so much positive spirit in my life between Shemaine and my kids and grandkids and my dog. Look at this good-looking dog. Look at that is that a handsome boy or what? That is a good-looking dog. I'll, I'll get so you. We, we, 
we hunt ducks and doves and pheasants and quail and raccoons and squirrels. Well, and, I, uh, I and feed it, the squirrels it, on the raccoons that come to the back porch, but I'm going to ask you two last questions because we're, we're going to run out of time. Um, nuts, man. I'm going to ask you one that's political, but I'll get to that after, But uh, because we don't normally do politics here, but I want to ask you just... You know, uh, Eddie Van Halen recently passed away, and, and you look at, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and Michael Schenker and the Satrianis, uh, they play guitar to me differently than you approach it. Uh, do you look up to those guys? Uh, it, it, did, did Eddie have a part in your life? Does Michael Schenker talk to you, or do you aspire more to be in the Chuck Berries? And, and, and who talks to you musically in terms of guitar playing? Well, certainly all those guys, but yeah. everybody. I mean, I've I've jammed with, uh, you know, Billy Gibbons and Eddie and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Brian May and Joe and, and Brad Aerosmith. I mean, I've I've been so Brad lucky. Gillis. Can't forget yeah, Brad, Brad Gillis. He's a fucking monster. Monster. Soulful as Stevie Ray Vaughan. Mm-hmm. They just let him rip. But here's the point. All those guys you mentioned, I have nothing but reverence for. They are so gifted. Certainly, Eddie, he and I jammed together. We had a great jam session at NAMM years ago. Um, their their first tour was opening up for me. It was 77 or 78, I think. Um, and I knew right away that he was special. Um, Satriani is special. Shanker opened up for me a number of tours in the 80s. Um, he's special, or was special. Um, but their music will live forever. So yeah, Chuck Berry plays a role in all those guys' lives. Believe me, you can't you can't possibly play guitar and not end up rip. You know. Throwing out some Chuck licks. I don't care if you're Clapton or Page or Beck or whoever you are, uh, including Steve Vai and all these unbelievable virtuosos. So I think, Mitch, you can tell that I love all sounds that have spirit, that have emotion. That country music doesn't. Um, sometimes it does. Blake Shelton's a good friend and Toby Keith's a good friend. Sometimes they deliver an emotional. Uh, it, it's almost like folk music with an electric guitar sometimes, which I, I just don't, it doesn't move me. It doesn't have a crescendo. I need crescendo. My songs, they start with a crescendo and they end with, <laughs> they're nothing but crescendos. <laughs> I'm not That's, really, a stranglehold has some subtle movements, obviously. Stranglehold is amazing. But all of them speak to me. Okay. Um, they all have an incredible ear for tone, uh, lyricism, um, expressionism, um, outrage um they cover the gap you just mentioned some of the greatest guitar virtuosos like joe bonamassa nowadays wow um and so many others um i i hear them i listen to them i appreciate them and i think they would all tell you what i'm about to tell you that no matter even though john coltrane and uh sun ra and yusef latif some of these jazz uh, Jimmy Smith on the keyboards, uh, certainly uh, the, the jazzy guitar players, which is why I play Gibson Birdland. Not the Jimmy McCarty's why I play Gibson Birdland, but because you can also get beyond the bombast, you can get these beautiful bell type uh, Gibson. That's some pretty shit. That is, that oh, is listen, some... listen to this. My brother died. John died in January. Condolences. My sincere sympathies. I'll, I'll try to contain myself here. And I I sat down to the guitar and this happened. Just like the Fred Bear song. After Fred died, I just sat down and went... 
just so beautiful. And then when John died, we all went through, continued to go through heartbreak, but I picked up the guitar one day and went. That, that is absolutely terrific. And uh, all right, I, I'm going to finish with this because we, we're way over time. But Well, it's, a, it's a, your time or my time. I don't go hunting for another couple hours. So well, I got I got nothing to do, but I, I, we never get, I never get po- political, but I, I, we've, we've talked about Justin Trudeau a couple of times over the years. <laughs> so, so, but hold on, hold on. What a complete prick you got up there. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into... Uh, in his first mandate, he promised our indigenous people that they would have drinkable water, potable water in their communities and didn't deliver in the first mandate. Yesterday, they announced that they are not going to meet their goals again. Uh, what do you think of a government that is unable to give your indigenous communities, your your reserves, drinkable water? I mean, is that normal in 2020, 2021? Well, Mitch, it's so important you brought up that specific point uh, because nothing uh, identifies the level of uh, dishonesty and corruption that your uh, prime minister represents and that our entire Democrat party represents, Flint, Michigan. Even though the governor at the time, uh, Schneider, was supposedly a a Republican, he wasn't at all. He was a rhino. He was a left-wing doper from Ann Arbor. And that's what you've got up there. You've got a left-wing doper that's so stoned all the time that he doesn't even know he's lying. He doesn't even know he's being offensive. He doesn't even know that it is his job to provide quality of life or the policies that that bring about quality of life, particularly for the indigenous people who are the founding fathers of the great Canadian spirit. And I have a great relationship with the Native Americans, the Native North Americans, including the indigenous people. I live their lifestyle with that story I just told you about killing my own dinner and my own clothing and my own spirit with a bow and arrow. That is indigenous as indigenous comes. By the way, what happened to the band indigenous? They played some good music for a while, didn't they? <laughs> they did, yeah. I took a left turn there, but, but actually it was a right turn. So uh, you know what I think. I think the same thing that you and all decent people that know that um, elected employees have a responsibility to the basic quality of life that begins with air, soil, and water. Uh, uh, Fidel Castro's son, look that up. Um, I believe that your, uh, your prime minister, uh, Justin Trudeau, I believe that he's actually the son of Fidel Castro. Have you heard that? 
Well, I haven't, but I mean, uh, Margaret did spend some time in Cuba back in the late sixties. Yeah, yeah, they're all stone. They're all stoners. And let me tell you, and this will piss off a lot of your viewers. Have at it. You find heartbreak. You find deceit. You find failed promises and crying mothers and communities in turmoil. Somebody was high that brought it about. Somebody that was out of touch. Somebody that thought being comfortably numb might be beneficial to other people's lives when comfortably numb is actually uncomfortably dumb. And if you're comfortably numb, you're too stupid to know that you're in the liability column and that you broke your mother's heart you ruined your family, and you might end up like George Floyd, who killed himself in the back of the squad car. He couldn't breathe all by himself because he took fentanyl, and he destroyed his family's life. He was a thug to his community. He destroyed the image of his fellow blacks, and he ruined everything he got around. And that cop had to subdue him because George Floyd thought being comfortably numb and ingesting life-destroying fentanyl was somehow a party. Do I need to go on? No, that, that that's 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 quite a statement, and and I'll just say this, uh, you know, in terms of in terms of the indigenous people in Canada, I just think that as a as a population that we have failed them by not being able to provide them with clean water. I mean, it, it is completely ridiculous that, and this is a problem that that that's been going on for 20, 30, 40 years. If if we didn't have you know clean water going to Ted Nugent's house, how long would it take for that problem to get fixed? I mean, really, about a, about a half an hour after <laughs> I beat the shit out of the print and failed. Here, here, and, and let me comment because you know I'm I'm a passionate guy, I'm an empathetic guy. I I my life is basically charity work. I. There's not a charity that I don't. I mean, I have an assembly line here at the house, Mitch, every day. I'm signing all kinds of stuff to donate for fundraisers, for children's charities, for law enforcement, military charities, Ducks Unlimited, you know, Habitat, environmental groups. Um, what we've got here is a, a, a cocktail of failed policies. But let me reach out to my blood brothers, my spirit blood brothers of the indigenous peoples of Canada. I work closely with them in, in all across the United States. And we are the same indigenous spirit blood brothers of the good earth. We still live in harmony with the good earth. But Justin Trudeau is not the biggest problem of the indigenous people. And yes, we should all fight like sons of bitches to demand clean soil, air and water now, not just for the indigenous people, but globally which is why we got out of the Paris Accord, because yes. we were actually encouraging pollution by paying the fines of India and Pakistan and China when our American air, soil, and water was way superior to theirs, but we were paying their fines. Here's a little, here's a little tip to the World Health Organization, the Paris Accord. Fuck you. Eat fuck. You're the polluters. Pay your own fucking fines and clean your own air, soil, and water because America's doing a great job. Better than Canada, by the way. So here's my, here's my love to the indigenous people around the world, especially my friends up in Canada, who I cherish the beautiful black bear rug steaks that I harvest up there every year. Your biggest problem is that you're turning a blind eye too often. Only the guilty need to feel guilty to your own infanticide, 
your domestic violence, your alcoholism, and your substance abuse. If you would just become responsible and demand responsibility, get rid of the substance abuse, get rid of the tobacco, get rid of sniffing paint, get rid of the, of the dope, get rid of the alcohol so that your spirit is alive like your ancestors. And then you can be a force to reckon with and demand that that prick Justin Trudeau get his job done, or you could become a voting force and get somebody in that would respect your way of life. But it's not them that's the problem. It's you that's the problem. Drugs, alcohol, domestic violence, that's self-inflicted, my friends. And if you hate me for saying that, then that's even a bigger problem. And, and Mitch, I don't know how tuned in you are to those lifestyles. That's the problem. And maybe I'm the only guy with a scrotum enough to actually say I love you so much like I've done to my bandmates, I've done to my friends, I've done to my family. Stop smoking. Stop drinking. Stop poisoning yourself with dope because you you don't you don't you can't accomplish squat in that condition you need to be strong the native american spirit is about warrior about being tuned in being healthy being focused drugs alcohol tobacco no health no focus, no. no warrior. So that's my loving gesture. And I know that people will hear this on my interview with you and they'll attack me as vicious hater. When in fact, this is undeniably love for those people. And and by the way, I'll just say this, uh, two things I'll say. First of all, when I do an interview with you, I always get attacked for why did I give Ted a, a platform and so on and so forth. But I, I'm not here to be biased. I do reporting, and this is a report. This is a great interview. And uh, I've never smoked. I've never taken a drug, and I do not drink. It is not. That's why we can have a conversation. Yes. By the way. <laughs> it, it it is not political. It is not religious. It just wasn't my. It wasn't my gig. I'd rather play tennis. You know. I mean, it's human. It's the human spirit that you want your fellow man to be healthy. And drugs, alcohol, and tobacco. You can't do it. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, I spent a couple of days with Keith Richards. Well, that completely blows that premise out of the water, obviously. <laughs> but oh, he, is... wasn't exactly, he wasn't exactly um, articulate in an exchange of ideas. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yes. And uh, folks, if you want more, Ted, a Spirit Campfire podcast. I could do this over and over again. And uh, we will need to try this again with Alan. I don't know why his uh, equipment yeah, gave down. And by the way, Mitch, I thank you because you have balls to um, have me on because I'm controversial because I believe in God, family, country, freedom, independence, and law and order. Well, that's some radical stuff. <laughs> so thank you for having the balls to take on somebody that the hippies can't stand. But you know who hates me? Bad people hate me. You know who complains about you doing an interview with me? Bad people. They're bad. They're not open. They will take my love for the indigenous people to help them get on track to be stronger and healthier. They'll take that as hate. That's insane. My haters are insane. Oh, and 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 they have visits. They have visited upon me some of that insaneness. It is startling, <laughs> it's but it's startling. 
It they is. They got to be high for a long, long extended period to be that stupid. Well, I mean, you look back in the days when, when Walter Cronkite and Dan, Re they would interview Castro or they would, and nobody went and attack them for doing their job. But I talked yeah. to Ted Nugent and I'm a heathen. It's like, well, no. Is that, is that <laughs> wild? You know what? I got to tell you, let me put it this, let me, let me make a statement so it's on record. I've done it before. Yeah. I've read the lies and the hate leveled at me. They claim I diss the Native Americans. Never in my life. I called the American Communist Party that protested my concert in Connecticut and New Jersey years ago. I called them unclean vermin. My radar is pretty accurate. I could smell them. That would indicate unclean. They had American Communist regalia. That would make them vermin. The Huffington Post and the hateful media fake news punks literally took that statement against the communist stinkers at my that were protesting my concert. Like four of them. <laughs> There were four unclean vermin stinkers, communist party guys. They actually claimed that I said that about the Native Americans. So the song Great White Buffalo, Geronimo and Me, Spirit of the Wild, Spirit of the Buffalo, all these songs showing reverence for my relationship with the indigenous people, that doesn't matter, but they're going to... And racist, I'm anything but a racist. I'm the most anti-racist person that has ever walked this side of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's quite a bold statement. I stand by it. They claim I'm anti-Semite. Maybe they should ask one of my hundreds of Jewish friends if I'm anti-Semite. They claim I'm homophobic. Maybe they should ask some of my gay buddies if I'm homophobic. It's... They literally go into the most hateful arena. They claim, I've actually seen it, where they claim I adopted a 12-year-old girl to have sex with. Well, where did I, they were probably thinking of Steven Tyler. She was 16, but you know, they don't attack him because I guess he's not on the board of the NRA and he didn't kill a deer with his bone arrow this morning. I love Steven. I think Steven's one of the greatest guys that ever lived. But you see what I mean? They so They are so commie inspired that when a guy stands up for conservative Christian values, they go into berserk hissy fit mode. And so here's a little message to them. Fuck you, you dirtbag scum. You people who hate me, you're unclean vermin. Try that on precise and dial 1-800-NUMNUT and maybe Michael Moore <laughs> will invite you to his poop party. Oh, and they Moore. also claim I'm a draft dodger who shit my pants to get out of the draft. Never happened. You know it never happened. They know it never happened. Everybody knows it never happened. But they can't get out of those talking points. And I laugh in their face. And by the way, Sammy Hagar asked me the most important question during my rock and roll road trip with him. And his opening question, I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was hysterical. Yeah. He said, Ted, I've known a lot of people. I've known you for a long time, for over 35 years. You are the happiest person I have ever met. Why are you so happy? Because I choose my own path, clean and sober, for 72 years so that I pick up on all the energies, maximize the positives, fight against the negatives, and smile a shit-eating grin every day of my life. And it drives the haters berserk <laughs> it does it does and uh, yeah I, and i'm gonna get a lot of hate for posting this but i don't care that's that's what i do well actually you do care but you don't care about stupid 
Yeah, I, I think yeah. he's a very caring guy, but you don't care about nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, uh, I don't see how you can criticize somebody for doing his job. This is a, you're a rock star, I do rock star interviews, and the topics that come up are topics that come up, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, and sure. and and I do a great job, Mitch. I'm proud to share this with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely, and uh, we we will have to do another one with uh, with Alan working. He had some great questions for you, but uh, hey, you know, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Man. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. All right, Godspeed. You live it up. I'll see if I can get out of here now. Mitch, <laughs> have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas, man. You too. Absolutely. Merry Christmas.